Pint Glass Football Podcast is presented by Better Edge, giving the edge back to the betters with no fee sports betting. At betteredge.com, you, not the books, set the price of betting lines so you can make bank with no VIG or sportsbook fees. Better Edge is available in 45 states for real money sports betting. Create an account and use code PGF for $10 on your first order. Play the game without getting played at betteredge.com. Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. This is Pint Glass Football. Drink beer, talk football. If you're new to the show, be sure to subscribe, rate and review the podcast. Follow on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at PGF Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Fowler, and McKenzie Brewing is the official beer of Pint Glass Football. Follow them at McKenzie Brewing and McKenziebrewing.com to check out their lineup of award-winning craft beers. Got a great show today, PGF Nation. We're going to discuss the national championship game, recap some of the Week 18 games in the NFL, give out this week's NFL game balls, NFL coaches that got fired. We're going to give our thoughts, and of course, we're going to preview the NFL Wild Card Weekend games and make our picks. Joining me, as always, radio and podcast legend, my co-host Tyrone Powell. What is up, Ty? Nothing much. Hoping everybody's okay. The year 2022 is taking off, and we got the fireworks popping already. Oh, man. Yeah, they were popping, I'm sure, down south in the state of Georgia. Georgia gets it done, man. Huge win for them. I'm sure their fan base is still partying hard right now. Getting the big, big win over SEC rival Alabama, 33-18. Georgia's defense, we knew coming into this game, that's where they hung their hat. And they came up so big in this game, Ty, especially in the red zone. Alabama only had 15 points on four trips into the red zone. In two trips, they came away with zero points. Yeah, but this was a bad situation for Alabama. The injury bug came at the wrong time. The last time they met up, Mechie had a good day. But in a situation in this game, Williams went down and tore his knee up, and it, it put them behind the eight ball or trying to see other players come out and make things happen. And the one thing about Alabama that puzzled me is that their running game really didn't get started like it did in the last game. I wonder what was wrong or what the offensive line couldn't provide to open things up for Robinson and company. So this is a bad loss for Saban right now, even though it's a national championship and it's hard to get there all together. But it's interesting that Georgia was able to knock down that wall or win a national championship, which has eluded them for the past 41 to 42 years. Yeah, it's crazy because it's been a really good program and they've gotten so close and they've been so competitive, especially in this Kirby Smart era. But you touched on Jameson Williams, and I want to go there for a second because the wide receiver for Alabama, that injury really changed the dynamic of this game. There's no doubt about it. And I don't want to take anything away from Georgia and what they did, but it certainly felt like there was a momentum shift in that game when he got hurt. He was on pace prior to that injury. He was on pace for 14 catches for 200 yards. Now, touchdowns, you can't really predict those, but this was a guy who clearly they were getting the ball to early and often in this ball game. And you could see early in this game that Georgia just had no answers for him. You talked about Mechie. He was already out with the torn ACL a couple of weeks ago to lose two of your best playmakers in this game 
is really tough to swallow for Alabama. I said in the preview that I think Alabama is going to have to be able to run the ball. You touched on it too, Ty. Their running backs had just 73 yards combined in this game and only a three yard per carry average. That just wasn't going to get it done. On the other side of the ball, I talked about Georgia's ability to run the ball and how that would play a role in this game. They combined for 167 yards. Cook, a player that I highlighted, had 12.8 yards per carry. He had some big-time plays in this game as well. Yeah, and that's the bad part about this situation is that they had to try to make this thing happen on the run. Of course, it's a next-guy-up mentality. There was a lot of situations where Alabama was getting on the other side of the field and just couldn't score. They had a guy that had a touchdown catch in front of him, and he wasn't able to bring that ball in in a situation where they had to end up getting a field goal on the board. You got to finish these drives one way or another. And I know that's something that Nick Saban in that organization or university knows that they have to do at the end of the day. Uh, but the one thing about it is this is something that baffled me is that Alabama is usually phenomenal, excellent against the run. And these guys are running the ball how they needed to. And this kind of opened things up for Stetson Bennett, who I still don't believe in as a quarterback, but he was able to get this done. His name is now legendary in Athens, Georgia at this point in time, better than a lot of quarterbacks that have come there and got the job done. But I wasn't thrilled with everything that he did, but he did enough damage to get this game taken care of and sealed away. Plus, the pick six to end this situation and put a, a damper on Bryce Young's efforts in that whole night where he didn't really have much more than that one touchdown pass thrown. And uh, that interception came at an unfortunate time to put them behind the gun. Stetson Bennett, I'm glad you brought him up. He was a guy that we talked about because we knew he was going to be one of the keys to this game. He was going to have to play a good game if Georgia had any chance. And he wasn't great. But that's really who he's been this whole season with Georgia. Good, not great. He just needed to take care of the ball. That bizarre fumble and recovery by Alabama that really looked like an incomplete pass, and then it got collected there right at the sideline. That was a strange play that really went against Georgia, but they came right back after that. They responded. I liked the toughness and tenacity that I saw from him. Yeah, he had the two fumbles, but Stetson Bennett played pretty well. And you're right. This guy is going to be a legend in Athens for the rest of his life. He will never have to buy a beer in the state of Georgia ever again. When I look at Alabama on the other side of the ball here for them, they ran 85 plays on offense. They had a huge edge in that department. And the Georgia defense, that historic defense that we talked about all year on this show, Ty, gave up less than 400 total yards. I, I just don't get it on how the passing game worked. He had over 200-something yards passing in the first half. Williams went down. He still has the next guy up mentality. They have four-star and five-star receivers that are going to come out and make plays. It shouldn't be that much more of a drop-off, even though you had some of the elite receivers that we've ever seen this season. Uh, they still should be able to be there for the throws that he can make. He's not a bad quarterback. He's a Heisman Trophy winner. A lot of these guys let him down in some of the drops that he had, too. And just unfortunate that that running game fell asleep and where that running game was wide open in the first time they met and the way that he threw the ball around a lot in that first game. I mean, it was incredible compared to the national championship where they needed him. And uh, none of the receivers were there for him. I, I think there was a strong situation of Saban having to switch this thing up and it didn't happen in their favor. Yeah, some of those young four- and five-star guys that had to step up in this game unfortunately just weren't able to. And I think the bright lights of the big stage being thrust into duty, they just weren't able to get it done. And like you said, there were some drops. Bryce Young had some throws that were on the money that they weren't able to haul in. And it's hard not to imagine that Mechie and Williams probably would have made some of those catches, maybe changed the outcome of this game. But I've got to give credit once again to George's defense. They put a lot of pressure on Bryce Young. They had four sacks. They were in the backfield. It felt 
felt like the majority of the game, nine tackles for a loss, two interceptions, and the one game ceiling pick six that you talked about, Ty. For me, the big narrative around this game is going to come back to Kirby Smart. The head coach for Georgia finally is going to get his due as one of the elite coaches in college football. He's one of the best recruiters in the game. He puts together incredible amount of talent. There's eight guys on this defense. They're going to not only make the NFL, they're going to start in the NFL. This defense is so loaded with talent, and it, it all comes back to Kirby Smart and what he's been able to build there at Georgia one of the best defensive minds in the games, a great X's and O's coach. He's won at a really high level for several years now at Georgia. He just couldn't beat Saban, and now he finally does hats off to Georgia in this Bulldog program for getting it done. But Ty, I want to shift gears here. The NFL coaching carousel has started as it always does. Black Monday, we also had a coach that got fired on Sunday and now a coach that got fired on Tuesday right before we went to record this. I want to look at some of these coaches and get your thoughts on these firings. I want to start with Minnesota's Mike Zimmer. He went 72-56-1 as the Vikings head coach. He was there for eight seasons, two division titles, three playoff appearances. He had at least seven wins every season while in Minnesota. What are your thoughts on Minnesota moving on from Mike Zimmer? The one thing about Zimmer that has me puzzled is the, the record that you said. He's severely over 500, and they got rid of him like he didn't make a difference in Minnesota. I want to see the direction that they go because they got rid of a good caliber of coaches in the recent history, and they got rid of a guy in Zimmer that has actually done well with what he has. Everybody's not a fan uh, favorite toward Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins actually had a phenomenal season. Jefferson had one of the more breakout freshman or rookie seasons and going into a sophomore season or a second season in a league and he's still doing well I feel like they're on the growing incline and you guys are going after him like he's on a decline I I just don't understand what Minnesota's up to I wonder what coach they go after to bring in there I tip my hat to Zimmer for all that he's going through through health situation through life and of course having to deal with this team from injury after injury and them still being in the hunt to still be a playoff caliber team I just don't get it on what Minnesota wanted to see from what he, the hand he was dealt. Yeah, they also fired GM Rick Spielman. This is a guy who's put a lot of talent on this roster. I actually was a little surprised by that move as well. I get that when you get rid of your head coach, generally the move is to get rid of the GM and start fresh. So I understand the thinking there. But this team missed the playoffs for the second year in a row. And you touched on it, Ty. He's been good. He's been a very good head coach in this league. This has been a good competitive team for several years while he's been the coach. But I'm guessing that the Vikings organization just felt like after eight years, good just wasn't good enough when Kirk Cousins is your quarterback who you touched on I'm not sure you can expect much better than what Zimmer did there not to bang on Kirk Cousins but he's a very average quarterback he's a good quarterback he's not a great quarterback and that's basically what the Vikings have been the last several years good not great again I, I don't know what they want I agree with you 100% he's an average quarterback he's not one of these gaudy quarterbacks that are putting up massive numbers the last time I think Zimmer was successful he got to an NFC championship game and that was with Case Keenum so he was able to do it with another quarterback at the end of the day. It's a head-shaking situation for Minnesota. I want to shift to Chicago. The Bears fire Matt Nagy. This was really a move that I think we all saw coming. This was a guy that most people thought was going to be gone at the end of the year. Looking back at Nagy's tenure in Chicago, he was the NFL Coach of the Year in 2018 with a 12-4 record in an NFC North title. Man, that feels like a long time ago because it's really been a downhill slope from there. They somehow made the playoffs last season. 
but it really just came off the rails this year, going six and eleven and losing nine of their last twelve games. He went thirty-four and thirty-one as the Bears head coach. What's your thoughts on Nagy? I think now is about time for him to show that he's really worth something somewhere else. He's been getting cosign after cosign, surviving job after job, and he still gets that good rep. If he goes somewhere else in the league, I'm not seeing him getting a head coaching job that soon. But we've said that previously, and it's happened. So good job on Chicago to pull the trigger at the right time. Uh, unfortunately, this is in a situation where Chicago not only is getting a new head coach coming in there, they need a whole rebuild, at least in their receiving core and on the back end in their secondary because their front seven defensively does their job. Uh, but everybody across the board from Allen Robinson on, they, they're going to need some work or they're going to have to move them out the door too. So Chicago's in an unfortunate situation still on a rebuild. Yeah, and it's a rebuild without a first-round pick this year, which I think is a little bit of salt in the wound. They traded that pick to the Giants last year as part of that move to get up or to move up and get Justin Fields. So I think that stings a little bit as far as this rebuild. But you're right, Ty. This is a roster that has a lot of holes, and they're going to have to start clean and really make some big-time moves here to get this thing moving in the right direction. Another coach that was fired over the weekend, Vic Fangio, the Denver Broncos head coach. He never had a winning season in three years as the head coach. They lost their last four games to end the season. And I think that really put the nail in the coffin for Fangio. Yeah, unfortunate situation in Denver. They weren't able to get that team together at the right time. They have a good receiving core. They brought a quarterback in Bridgewater that was supposed to be successful with this team. They started out great to start the season, and then everything fell down from being injury-riddled, the cohesiveness of the team. The defense wasn't as solid as they were out of the first couple of games, and uh, people started to pick on Denver. Then you've seen Denver actually play well in Dallas, and they didn't get back to that type of performance that they did while they were in Texas up against the Cowboys. So if they can't get that consistency going with the names that are around that organization and the names that they're intrigued by, um, I think they'd rather pull the trigger on getting rid of him and watching this spiral year after year. So Denver actually having the pieces now to try and do some work in a very tough AFC West. Yeah, unlike the Bears that we just talked about, this team does have a lot of talent. This is a roster that definitely has a lot more talent than that Bears roster, and it feels like this could be a much quicker turnaround for this Broncos team. This team played hard for Fangio, and I got to give them credit for that. This is a team that never threw in the towel. It seemed like every week they gave their best effort regardless of the situation. He's considered one of the best defensive minds in the NFL, but the issues at the quarterback position have just continued to plague this team since winning Super Bowl 50 the Broncos haven't been to the playoffs in six years that's the second longest active streak behind only the New York Jets it just felt like something had to change there but until they change the quarterback position until they get that position right I don't think it's going to be much better for the next guy that comes in either yeah we'll see which way they're going I don't know if it's more of a defensive minded coach which they had or if they go offensive in a place where they're trying to figure it out because uh, Drew Locke isn't the guy to carry this torch if they're getting rid of a guy like Bridgewater as well. So I want to see what quarterback comes in and kind of fills the shoes there. It depends on what head coach they bring. If they're going to be more offensive or defensive-minded, it'll be pretty interesting to see what the Broncos are up to. The most shocking firing by far, I think it really sent shockwaves throughout the NFL, was the Dolphins firing head coach Brian Flores. This was really surprising by Miami. I don't think anybody saw this coming, especially myself. After Miami finished the season winning eight of their last nine games and becoming the first team ever to finish the season with a winning record after a 1-7 and seven start. 
I don't like what's going on in Miami. I don't think this is a favorable place that people would want to go coach. Of course, it's a great city to be in, great environment. Everybody loves Miami, Florida. But to coach the Dolphins is not favorable. You mean to tell me that this team sat up here and had a revolving door of head coaches since 2006 or 2005, however you want to put this together, from name after name after name, none of them have really been strongly successful. You get a guy that not only has been somewhat successful, goes on the run and have them in playoff contention and winning eight of their last nine, and you get rid of them because it just didn't work out and they actually beat a playoff team in the Patriots. I think this team was on a strong rebuild and it was happening. I don't know if a coach could come in there and turn them around instantly while this team was actually gaining strength and looking good and reinvigorating a player like Tua Tagovailoa. Tua actually turned this back around and started playing good football again. Like, I don't know what coach is going to lift Tua up, keep him involved, even though he has some good players around him. Of course, he knows, you know, guys out of Alabama like Waddle and such. But I don't know if Miami's going to have that turnaround in year one. And they had that caliber to happen like now. They should be in a discussion with the Patriots and the Bills, to be fair. Even though I think those two teams are better than the Dolphins, the Dolphins actually beat one of them. So I, I don't I feel it's unfair, to be brutally honest. Oh, I think you're right, Ty. I completely agree with you. I think it makes the Miami Dolphins look like a joke of a franchise. I couldn't believe this move. This was one of those moves that when I saw this headline come across ESPN and the other news sites, I couldn't believe what I was reading. You're going to fire a guy who came into an organization that was absolutely terrible. In three years, he's only had one losing season, and that was his first year as the head coach when he took over a dumpster fire of a roster. They've had two winning seasons the last two years. This team clearly plays hard for him. For his team to come back from that 1-7 and seven start and win all those games and be in the playoff mix tells you how much they respect their coach, how much they play for this guy. And what's even more shocking is this is a guy, you touched on it, they beat the Patriots. He was 4-2 while the head coach at Miami versus Bill Belichick. How many coaches have a winning record against Bill Belichick, especially in that division? And you touched on it. They've had a revolving door of head coaches. You find a guy that is wildly respected across the NFL, is doing a great job rebuilding this team, and you get rid of him. It is so shocking to me. I, I don't think it's going to be long at all before he gets another head coaching job. I would be shocked. I'll tell you this, Ty. By the time this podcast reaches the airwaves, I would not be the least bit surprised if he already has a head coaching job somewhere else in the NFL because I know he is that respected around this league, and he should be. A great motivator, a great X's and O's coach, a buttoned-up guy who really knows what he's doing. And what's even more shocking is that they kept GM Chris Greer I don't understand that move at all because you're if you're going to clean house, clean house. But then you keep the GM, a guy who drafted Tua, who, who's been okay. He's been okay. I'm not going to trash Tua right here. But let's face it, you took Tua over Justin Herbert. And this is going to come back to haunt this franchise for the next 10, 15 years or longer. Justin Herbert looks like he's on a path to a gold jacket. Let's be honest. This is one of the best young quarterbacks in the league. He's been outstanding while Tua looks very average at best, this is a GM who took him. He also has whiffed on several other draft picks. He's had some nice hits. I'm not going to totally trash the guy and say he hasn't had some nice draft picks, but his draft record isn't that sterling for you to be keeping this guy. I just, I didn't understand it. It was baffling, absolutely baffling, Ty. And it just makes me really think less of the Dolphins organization and where they're headed. I have a friend of mine who's a Dolphins fan. 
I asked him what his thoughts were, and he just shook his head in disgust. He could not believe that they got rid of Brian Flores, and I can't believe it either, Ty. The last coach that I want to touch on here quickly, Ty, is Joe Judge got fired right before we went on the air as the New York Giants head coach. It got embarrassing in New York. Let's just call it what it is. Six straight losses, including that week 18 loss. They had a stretch in the middle of the season where they went three and two in a five game stretch. It kind of looked like maybe they were turning things around, but then it completely fell apart the rest of the way. What are your thoughts on Joe Judge being fired by the New York Giants? I'm shocked that they pulled the trigger this fast, but he wasn't putting out a good product out there on the field. I was at the game Sunday. Uh, when he did the back-to-back victory formation quarterback sneak. Let me tell you, I have lived in this area, tri-state, New England area, my entire life. I've been at games where I've heard fans boo. I've never heard fans booing and yelling like a movie, like get out of here and all types of obscene gestures and things of that nature. It was very bad, and everybody was screaming at Judge, including a bundle of people wearing Giants blue shirts that said, Fire Judge, and it was more than like 10 people wearing these shirts. So this is the mantra that's been going around New York, New Jersey. They did it after Gettleman retired yesterday. So you had a GM that's actually been questionable across the board, and I'm actually saving grace with how many gestures he's been receiving. And then they get rid of the coach that they brought in that they actually made statements weeks ago that said that Judge was safe. They pulled the trigger on him on a Tuesday. Insanity. I wonder what New York is up to. Yeah, Gettleman we expected would get fired, or I guess he's retiring because they want to save face or whatever. I don't really care. He got fired. Let's just call it what it is. The guy was a terrible GM. He had some nice moves. He had some good draft picks, but he missed on way too many picks. And this last draft was his worst yet, passing on Micah Parsons and Rashawn Slater, moving back to get Kadarius Toney. I said it during the draft uh, episodes we did. I said it was a bad move. I still stand by that. It looks even worse now that Micah Parsons and Rashawn Slater both look like pro bowlers going forward for years to come. But I think the Week 18 play calling that you talked about here, Ty, I think that was the nail in the coffin. I really think they wanted to stay with Judge for another year and kind of give him a chance. But when you kneel on third and nine, you're just signaling to your players, your fans, and everybody in the organization that you are giving up. You're quitting. It's one thing to be a bad team. We get that. This team has holes. It's a roster that needs a lot of talent upgrades. But you kneel on third and nine. It's inexcusable. I don't blame Giants fans for being furious. I don't blame them for being angry with this guy. The play calling was questionable at best. It was downright terrible. Like you talked about, the the quarterback sneaks and some of the things they tried to do – it really just fell completely apart in week 18. I think he sealed his own fate with some of the decisions he made in that game. Also going in the media, talking bad about Washington, and they come in there and whoop your butt up and down the field. It was a bad look for the Giants, and I think ownership just realized they have got to peel the Band-Aid off and move on. This is a bad situation on them ending the season and not looking good going out of the door. And to be brutally honest, this has been a long-standing run since Gettleman's run. They're bringing coach after coach from McAdoo. The list goes on and on that they have not been able to put it together, whether it's management, whether it's the coaching situation, whether it's the players on the field that has not come together. Interesting. But I want to see the way the Giants handle this. 
Yeah, the offseason for New York is going to get really interesting to see what they do in the draft, what they do in free agency, what kind of moves they make. Because you're right, this offense has been the biggest issue. The defense has actually quietly been decent. I don't want to say good, but they've had moments where they've played okay. It's really been the offense that has been just abysmal. I talked about the six-game losing streak that lasted into Week 18. Five of those games, they scored 10 or less. They've been terrible on that side of the ball. And I know Daniel Jones was hurt for a big stretch of those games, but that's not a reason for you to be completely uncompetitive on that side of the ball. I think there's going to be big time changes in New York coming, but Ty, I want to jump to week 18, touch on a couple of these games. We saw some big games that decided some of these playoff outcomes. I want to start with the 49ers and the Rams. The 49ers get a big overtime win, 27-24, and seal a playoff bid. After being down 17-0, they come back and get a huge win in this one. It's two ways of this story. I give credit to Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo, I tip my hat for all that you've been able to go through. I really wish I was a friend of yours to like pick your brain or the way that I analyze sports. I really would like to talk to you about like redemption and knowing that you've been to a Super Bowl so many years back and winning so many times with Tom Brady, but having this chip on your shoulder of hearing that a rookie's coming here, they're giving you the first quarter of the season to prove yourself. You do well enough that they keep that rookie there. You even get injured. They bring the rookie in and they put you in injured and you're still able to put this together and win the game. Of course, you have people like Debo Samuel and company come save you, but you were able to do this and manage at a good clip to not only do this and beat the Rams, but in a situation where you face the deficit. Now, the other side of the coin, I've seen the entirety of Matthew Stafford's career. This legacy will follow him around as long as his career, until he hangs up his cleats. And the fact of that is that he's severely under 500 against teams that are over 500. And for this type of situation to happen, he's had three straight games of multiple turnovers. This is stuff that can help you lose games. In a situation where you're approaching the playoffs, where you have to possess the ball and take care of the ball, I'm not extremely confident in Matthew Stafford on a better team with everybody in the world that said that the Rams are a Super Bowl contender. The potential's there. They have players, even though Robert Woods isn't there. Odell is a good pickup that they have. Cooper Cup is the threat across the league at the wide receiver position. Their defense is led by Aaron Donald. They bring in a guy like uh, Von Miller as well. Von Miller had like, I want to say, one or two games since he got there from Denver where he did some work. And of course, they got Jalen Ramsey in the back end. Jimmy Garoppolo, I got to give this guy a lot of credit too because he had a really horrid first half, but he gutted out a huge win after his starting status was up in the air because of that thumb injury. I was really impressed with what he did in this game, especially on that final drive in regulation. He went four for five and threw a laser to Juwan Jennings to force overtime. He had some big time plays in this game. Debo Samuel is maybe the funnest player to watch in the entire NFL right now. He had 95 yards receiving, 45 yards rushing, and he threw a touchdown pass in this ball game. What a Swiss Army knife of a player this guy has become. The 49ers are a team that, like I said, we're going to jump into the playoffs here in a minute, but I think they could be a really tough out in the playoffs going 7-2 and two in their last nine games. And on a side note here, Cooper Cup, just became the fourth player since 1970 to lead the NFL in receptions, receiving yards, and touchdown catches. He also finished with the second most receiving yards in a season and the second most catches in a season to finish week 18. This guy was unbelievable all season long. Hats off to him. Ty, I want to shift to 
a game that really shocked some people, myself included, a game that we talked about in the pick six, but even I didn't think it would turn out like this. Going into week 18, the Indianapolis Colts had gone from a 1-4 team to 9-7 and seven with MVP contender and Jonathan Taylor leading the way, needing only one win over one of the worst teams in the entire NFL, the Jacksonville Jaguars. They were big favorites in Vegas. All they had to do was to beat the Jaguars in week 18 to get into the playoffs. The Colts had everything to play for while the Jags season was basically over weeks ago after firing Urban Meyer and really just waving the white flag on the season. Yet the Jags come out and crush the Colts 26 to 11. They led this game wire to wire. They were up 26 to three with under five minutes to go in the fourth. That score makes it look better than it was. This was a beatdown by Jacksonville. This is inexcusable. I, I don't want to give any notion toward Jacksonville. Thank you for coming out and playing football and winning a game at the end of the season where you guys had the whole crowd dressing up as clowns and you had your owner stick up and say, you know what? I don't want to deal with this product anymore. Like there's been so many different things across the news network that the Jacksonville Jaguars came out there and had to deal with going into this game. And this team actually survived that storm and beat a team that was going into the, or fighting to go to the playoffs and got stopped from their running game being well to Carson Wentz playing exceptional to the receivers that they had out there making plays. There is no excuse, especially with the Indianapolis Colts defense, the way that they've been playing all season long and getting beaten by a Jacksonville Jaguars team, Trevor Lawrence had more interceptions than touchdowns on the season, and you guys let him get started and believe in what's going on while his head coach had departed weeks ago. This is inexcusable. Indianapolis, I know you'll probably bounce back and have a better season, but there's already potential of a guy like T.Y. Hilton leaving. I just want to see how they bounce back and get in this division situation because that was a division rivalry the Jaguars and the Colts so uh, this is inexcusable to me to, for me to say the least bit yeah the Colts were 15 and a half point favorites going into this game and they were a total no show I mean this is an embarrassing loss one of the worst I can remember considering the circumstances I can't remember a game in the regular season that meant this much to a team and to come out that flat and play that poorly against one of the worst teams in the NFL when you've got the playoffs on the line I could not believe what I saw but Carson Wentz was terrible. And this is why I've talked about Carson Wentz repeatedly on the show. I, I've never bought into him. I never thought that he was going to be a guy that could elevate this team. In the last eight games, he's only thrown for more than 225 yards once. And that's why I never bought into him or the Colts as far as being a legit contender, even when they were playing really well, even when it looked like they were going to be a dangerous team that's going to roll into the playoffs. Carson Wentz is a liability. That's just the bottom line. He just isn't good enough. He's reckless with the ball. And in an era where 300 yards passing gets people yawning, this guy can't even break 225. He's not the solution in Indy. I know they've got a good roster. I think they've got a pretty good coach. But if Carson Wentz is your answer at quarterback, this is what you can expect for the next several years is a roller coaster ride. Ty, and what's crazy is that this opened the door for the Pittsburgh Steelers to get into the playoffs as long as the Chargers and Raiders didn't end in a tie. That game almost did just that. 
What a crazy way to end the season. The Raiders led 29-14 with about eight minutes to go. It looked like they were going to wrap this thing up. L.A. scores a touchdown and a two-point conversion to cut the lead to seven. The Raiders go three and out, and Justin Herbert leads a dramatic game-tying drive with a touchdown on the final play of regulation. In overtime, both teams kick field goals. The Raiders drive stalls at midfield and it looks like they were going to be set on taking the tie and possibly even taking a knee to just end the game but then the chargers call a timeout with 38 seconds left the time was running off the clock makes no sense to me at all jacobs runs for 10 yards on the next play and sets up a game-winning field goal after the game Derek carr admitted that they were playing for the tie up until la called that timeout Look, I've defended L.A. coach Brandon Staley on this podcast, but this was inexcusable. I, I don't know what he was thinking. I, I think he was hoping that they missed or something. I, I don't know what he, he's thinking. And this is bad that a lot of people don't press them. They deal with the local news media and go from there. Uh, all of the other news media networks don't really get in their face like we would want. At the end of the day, it's like, what what's going on in your mind? Like, give us the real raw facts of what's going on at this point in time. And there's nothing that he can answer, unfortunately. He's on the outside looking in, and at the, I think, whenever they get lined up for the field goal, you see Justin Herbert look at the coaches and say, I never wanted a tie so bad. And this is all across every media network. You, you can see the pictures, you can see the video footage and everything. And unfortunately, your head coach robbed you of it. Yeah, I, I like I said, I like some of the aggressive play calling I've seen from them, but some of the decision makings have gone from aggressive to just idiotic. Going for it on fourth down deep in your own territory, basically giving the Raiders three points early in that game. He's been doing things like this throughout the year where, yes, you can talk about the analytics all you want, and I get that, but there's still situations where you just are outthinking yourself with some of these decisions, and I don't know if it was an analytics guy that told him somebody in his ear, one of his assistants said, Hey, we got to call timeout here. I don't understand the thinking. I, I really don't. It was just baffling to me when it looked clear to everybody who was watching that game that the Raiders were just going to run out the clock and just be satisfied going into the playoffs with their rival for them to call that timeout. It just changed everything. And it certainly changed the fortunes for the Steelers and the Steeler fans to get big Ben his last game. In the playoffs, it's crazy. It's it's really crazy what happened there. That was a really great game. Ben leads a vintage Big Ben last-minute drive to beat the Ravens to keep their playoff chances alive. TJ Watt gets a tie of the sack record with 22 and a half. Really outstanding job by Tomlin and that team to stay competitive considering all the things they've gone through this year. And it's really going to be neat to see Ben get one last time in the playoffs. But we're going to jump into that in just one second here, Ty. Now that the regular season is all wrapped up here, I want to get your take, Ty. Which NFL team do you think was the biggest disappointment this season based on preseason expectations? Wow, this is a very interesting quick uh, question, and there's a couple of interesting answers that I want to say across the board, but I'm going to do one quickly. The Baltimore Ravens, especially the way that they came out the gate, and uh, Lamar Jackson actually played good football out of the gate, and then next thing you know, midway of the season came, injuries started happening, then you started to see the real Lamar Jackson, and the question still remains, if he could be one of the elite quarterbacks. I don't know yet. 
Yeah, Ty, I think the injuries were the big factor with them. It's really unfortunate with that, what happened with that team. I think they got the injury bug maybe as bad as anybody in the league. And I, that's a team that I think is going to bounce back and be really competitive next year. But it's certainly a disappointment considering a lot of people had them as one of the favorites in that division. But to stay in that division, Ty, for me, it's the Cleveland Browns. This is a team in the preseason that a lot of people had picked to go to the Super Bowl, a team that people thought was a legit AFC contender at the least, and they didn't even make the playoffs. They were the heavy favorite in Vegas at one point in the preseason to win the AFC North. They didn't win the AFC North. They missed the playoffs. It's really shocking to me. And the other team that I think was a pretty big disappointment was the Colts, a team that we just talked about a team that I didn't really have as big of expectations for, but I think from a national narrative uh, standpoint and considering how much talent is on the roster, I think a lot of people thought the Colts would be a team that could make some noise and they come up short with that terrible game in Jacksonville. So let's switch it to player here. Which player was the biggest disappointment based on their preseason expectations? I apologize, PGF, because I want to be fair to the guy because I love him to death and I had him fantasy and he was going completely crazy. But Derrick Henry, for him to come up with an unfortunate injury, uh, looking like he's going to get 2,000 yards again in back-to-back seasons. We were looking like we were in front of history. The injury bug clipped him at the worst time. But the unfortunate situation that has me scratching my head is that they said that he was due back around the AFC Championship, maybe the Super Bowl. He's back now. So I wonder what went on. How could he bounce back from a broken bone in his foot when his wheels are everything? I'm going to be excited to see what happens with him as well. And that Titans team is going to be fascinating to see what they can do in the playoffs. For me, the biggest disappointment as far as preseason expectations for a player has got to be Trevor Lawrence. I know he's a rookie and we can't expect him to be an MVP or straight to Canton kind of guy, but this was a guy that many, myself included, had graded as one of the highest rated quarterback prospects in the history of the NFL. This was a guy that people said would have been the number one pick after his freshman year in college. That's how long we had been waiting to see what he would do in the NFL. And you just touched on it a little bit ago, Ty. He had more interceptions than touchdowns this year. I didn't expect Jacksonville to have a lot of wins. And I wasn't going to judge Trevor Lawrence on their win-loss record because for a young quarterback with a roster that needs help, I don't think that's fair. But I did expect a much better season from him individually And he had a huge stretch of the season where he didn't even have a touchdown pass for, I think, five or six weeks in a row. Just didn't see enough from this guy for a guy that many people thought was going to be an instant impact player, a guy that you can build around. And now, not that I don't think he'll develop, not that I don't think he still has a potentially bright future, but from what we've seen from some of these other rookie quarterbacks like Joe Burrow and Herbert, guys that came in just before he did, he certainly didn't live up to his hype because his hype was way beyond those guys and he doesn't look even close to the type of player that those guys did after their rookie year. So I think he has to be one of the biggest disappointments. But Ty, it's time to give away the final regular season game ball for the NFL week 18. Who's going to get your game ball this week? Dak Prescott and the way this offense lit it up, even though he didn't finish the game, they did enough to put up 51 points on the board in a game where the Eagles try to do everything they can to solidify their playoff spot. The Eagles are in there regardless though. But to let everybody know that that offense is not playing around, they put up 50-plus points in two back-to-back games. Dak still had a 295-yard day and five touchdowns thrown. 
I can't take away much from him, especially with him going to his other receiver and Cedric Wilson having 119 yards receiving. So it wasn't the not the guys that we notably know in Cooper or Lamb and company. It was Cedric Wilson, one of the third or fourth options at the receiver position. Yeah, Dak Prescott was awesome. He's a guy that's gotten a couple game balls on this show. The question for Dak is going to be, can he do it against the elite teams? Because once again, here's a guy who beats up on the NFC East. He beats up on the little brothers of this division. He looks like a superstar when he plays these teams. But when he plays the elite teams, we see a lot more average quarterback play from him. That'll be fascinating to see. But I can't take away anything from what he did. Absolutely lit it up, no doubt about it, Ty. And it's a great pick for this week's game ball. My game ball is going to go to Max Crosby, the defensive end for the Las Vegas Raiders. This was basically a playoff game, and he played his best game of the season. He had 10 quarterback pressures. Half of those pressures were either a sack or a quarterback hit. He was so dominant in this game. He was in Herbert's face all game long. He made things so tough on that passing game. He played like a man with his hair on fire. Outstanding game by Max Crosby and a big-time difference maker for that Raiders defense getting back into the playoffs for the first time in a long time. So hats off to Max Crosby. Pint Glass Football Podcast is presented by Better Edge. Bringing the edge back to the betters with no fee sports betting. At BetterEdge.com, you, not the books, set the price of betting lines so you can make bank. BetterEdge is available in 45 states for real money sports betting. Play the game without getting played at BetterEdge.com. It is wild card weekend. I cannot believe it. The playoffs are here. I want to dive into these games and take a look at them, make our picks. The first game, Saturday, January 15th at 4.30 Eastern, 1.30 Pacific. It's on NBC, Raiders, Bengals, the 4-5 matchup. What are your thoughts on this game? Um, It was cool to see the Raiders get this far. I really feel like they can make this a game, but I think the Bengals are destined to actually push the needle and win this game. Uh, Jamar Chase has been on a tear. Uh, Burrow's actually been doing well in this season, especially the way that he's bounced back after the significant injury of last year. And I think the team has followed behind him. They call him Jackpot Joe for a reason. I am not too thrilled with the play of Derek Carr, even though he's got one of his weapons back in Darren Waller. I I think the, the Cincinnati Bengals are a little too much on the road for the Raiders. I think they win this game and potentially cover the five and a half. If if I had to go with it, I, I give them the edge to cover the five and a half. Yeah, Ty, I think I'm leaning with you. Cincinnati is red hot, especially on offense. Joe Burrow has been so good the last few weeks. He became a dark horse MVP candidate with the way he's played. The Bengals went from worst to first in the AFC North this season, and Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase have become one of the best quarterback wide receiver duos in the entire NFL. But the key to this game and the key to the Bengals offense for me is actually running back Joe Mixon, who had 16 total touchdowns this year. He's also a threat to catch it out of the backfield. And you touched on Derek Carr. This is actually his first playoff game. It's almost hard to believe he's been in the league that long and never been in the playoffs. Week 11, since he beat the Raiders 32-13, the game was close until the Bengals went 
off in the fourth quarter, scoring 19 points. This is a game where Carr, he's a guy who tends to throw the ball up for grabs when he's under pressure. It's one of the big flaws in his game, and Cincinnati has quietly had one of the best quarterback pressure rates on defense in the entire NFL. I expect them to put pressure on Carr and make things difficult on him, and I expect this Bengals offense to continue rolling like we've seen in the last several weeks. Looks like the Bengals are five-and-a-half-point favorites on BetterEdge.com right now. I'm with you, Ty. I'm going to lay the points in this one. Let's shift. Patriots, Bills, Saturday, the 15th. It's 8-15 Eastern, 5-15 Pacific. It's on CBS. Patriots are the sixth seed. Bills are the three seed, and they're a four-point favorite heading into this one. I'm going with the upset. I'm going with Bill Belichick to pull this off. The Bills are up and down all season long. I don't know what Bills team we're going to see. It's been a very unfortunate situation for Josh Allen on games where he looks like he's an MVP candidate. There's games where he's not playing up to par. And I feel like this could be a game where the Patriots defense could actually make it tougher for him. And Mac Jones could continue this interesting run in his rookie season. I'm going with the Patriots for the upset and that defense to fight the Bills as much as possible to keep that one-legged monster and that being the Bills to continue to pass all day long and deal with what they can uh, in the running game. I'm going to go with the Patriots with the upset. Yeah, Ty, when you look at this matchup, obviously we've got division rivals facing off in the playoffs. This one's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to watch it. They split the regular season meetings, both losing at home, but there's a big head coaching edge for me, and you touched on it. It's Bill Belichick. This is a guy who's been one and done only three times in the playoffs out of 17 trips. This is a guy who generally advances. So I'm going to bank on history here and say he advances again. I'm with you. I think the key for the Patriots is the running game. That is really going to be the difference in this ballgame. Damian Harris has 244 yards and four touchdowns versus Buffalo this year. Now, the Bills had nice wins over Kansas City and New England, but they mostly beat up on teams with inferior quarterbacks. Six of their wins this season were versus backup quarterbacks. I think this team has been a little bit inflated all year long. You touched on Mac Jones. He's a guy who did virtually nothing against the Bills this year. I think he's going to have to make plays in this game, but the running game is going to go a long way into setting up the play action and setting up easier passes for Mac Jones. But I do think at some point there's going to be some big third downs in this game where Mac Jones is going to have to make some plays. I expect it to be close. But I'm going to take the points, especially getting four points at betteredge.com right now. There's a lot of value there. Anytime you get over three, over that field goal mark, I think there's a lot of value. Shift to the NFC Sunday, January 16th, 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. It's on Fox, seven-seed Eagles, the two-seed Buccaneers. But right now on Better Edge, they're a heavy favorite at eight and a half. I am going to go with the Buccaneers. There's no way I could go against Tom Brady. The unfortunate situation is I feel like the Eagles have this mystique to make this an interesting game. Uh, They have beaten Tom Brady before in the postseason, but I feel like this is just enough to wake the old ghost up of Tom Brady saying, you know what, you guys beat me before a few years back for a Super Bowl. I can't take you guys lightly. I got to come out here and play ball, plus all of the odds that are against them with him being down so many different receivers. I think they got to get the people of Florida involved in this game to kind of close out the Philadelphia Eagles in the season that they're up to. I'm going Tampa Bay. 
Ty, I am with you. No doubt about it. I do think there is some value at plus eight and a half because that's a pretty big number in a playoff game. But it tells you that Vegas feels pretty confident about the Buccaneers. And I do as well, Ty. The Eagles played the Bucs pretty close in their week six matchup losing by only six points, but that was mostly on paper because the 28 to 22 score looks better than it was. They scored a late touchdown to make that score closer than it was. The game was actually 28 to seven in the third quarter. So the Bucks handled this team pretty well in that game. Jalen Hurts only had 159 total yards of offense in that matchup. Brady has played in 50% of the last 20 Super Bowls. Think about that for a second, Ty. There is no way I am betting against the GOAT, especially after leading the league in touchdowns and passing yards. I'm not even convinced Jalen Hurts is a starting NFL quarterback. So this is a huge, huge mismatch. The Eagles struggle versus tight ends. This is something to look for in this game. So I expect Gronkowski to go off in this matchup. I think he's going to be a big X factor in this game. Eagles finished 7-3 and three in their last 10 games, but all those wins came versus teams with a losing record. So this is a team that really coasted on an easy schedule to get where they are. I think they get exposed versus the champs on Sunday. Ty, let's shift to the next game here. This one, I think, might be the game I'm most excited to watch in the wild card. Sunday, January 16th, 4.30 Eastern, 1.30 Pacific, CBS, the six-seed 49ers, the three-seed Cowboys. The Cowboys are a three-point favorite. I'm going with the upset. I think the 49ers go in there and shock the world. This is letting you know how I feel about Garoppolo at this point in time. It's just something about Dallas that makes me feel up and down. Of course, their offensive line has always been noted as a great one. They've had their issues. We're waiting for Zeke to finally break out. He's had games here and there, but he's actually been more on the con side than pro. And Dak in that receiving core has been saving his team as much as possible. Their defense has been stout, but I feel like the Niners could go shot for shot with them. It's really going to be a situation where I feel like this is going to be who possesses the ball last. I feel like the Niners are going to upset the world. I'm going 49ers outright. I like it, Ty, because there's an old saying in boxing that styles make fights. Well, they make fights in the NFL as well. The Niners have finished the year really strong, and they've been led by that defensive line with Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead and company. I think they have the edge over the most penalized offensive line in the NFL this year in the Dallas Cowboys. That's not the same old line that we saw a couple years ago. They're good, but they're not that dominant O-line that we remember from years past. I think this defensive line can get pressure on Dak and make things difficult on them. Trent Williams, the left tackle for the 49ers, could return for this game as well, which I think would be huge because this is one of the best left tackles in the game today. And he's going up against a very good Dallas defensive line. That's going to be a matchup to watch in this game. Since week 10, Debo Samuel has 11 touchdowns. We talked about him earlier. He is the ultimate dual threat. He makes this offense so hard to defend. Since week nine, Dallas is only averaging 23.6 points per game. They haven't been the same team that we saw earlier this year, Ty. The 49ers are a team that love to run the ball. Dallas is weak versus the run. They give up four and a half yards per rush this year. I think that is key to this ball game. I think the Cowboys are a team that can get after quarterbacks. They can create turnovers, 
But I think getting the 49ers in third and long is going to be a must if they want to win this game. If the Niners can control the line of scrimmage, if they can control the time of possession and run the ball and grind out long drives, I think it's going to be a long day for Dallas. I'm with you. Give me the 49ers in the upset. I'll take 49ers plus three. All right, Sunday, January 16th, 8.15 Eastern, 5.15 Pacific on NBC. The seven-seed Steelers who backdoored their way into the playoffs versus the number two-seed Chiefs. Chiefs are big favorites, 12.5 points. What do you like in this game? What are you looking for, Ty? I really like the Chiefs to take care of business. The 12.5 is a lot. I, I really think that Vegas is letting you know the Chiefs should win this game by blowout. But you know what? Everybody out there on PGF, I'm doing this because I am a Ben Roethlisberger fan. I'm going with the Steelers for the unthinkable upset. I think they pulled this off in Arrowhead to keep this story going. Why not? The Chiefs have been questionable, even though their offense was on one of the more better fire situations for the last couple of games. I want to say at least in a nine or ten game stretch, they put together a stretch of wins, but they lost. They're vulnerable. I want to see somebody clip them, and what would be better than for Ben to keep riding this high? I'm going with the Steelers for the upset of the weekend. Whoa. Whoa, Ty. I did not see that coming. I like it. I like the bold take. The story of Ben you know, winning his last two games versus the rival Browns and Ravens, winning his final home game, winning his last game versus Baltimore, getting into the playoffs in his last season, it's a really cool story. But it ends here. Week 16, the Steelers got destroyed by Kansas City, 36 to 10. And at one point, they were down 30 to nothing. It was not even competitive. The offense just doesn't have enough to hang in this game. They scored 20 or less in three of their last four games. They just don't move the ball well enough to get in a shootout with a team like this. Now, Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey both got hurt in week 18. So that is definitely something to look for. If they aren't 100% going into this game, that could definitely help the Steelers here if they're going to pull off the unthinkable. And the defense for Kansas City really struggled in their last two games. They had been playing really well, but something happened in those last two games where they gave up a lot of yards and a lot of points. The Steelers' defense... I think is going to have to play its best game of the year. They're going to have to create turnovers. They're going to have to get a ton of pressure on Patrick Mahomes. If they have any shot in this one, Ty, I love the bold take, but I'm going to take the chiefs. I'm going to lay the points here. I think they cruise in this one. I think this is just a matchup that is tough for the Steelers. I think the storybook season for Pittsburgh ends and Ben rides off into the sunset. And the next stop for him is Canton. All right, final game of Wild Card Weekend is going to be Monday night, January 17th, 8.15 Eastern, 5.15 Pacific. It's on ABC and ESPN. The five-seed Cardinals, the four-seed Rams in an NFC West battle in the playoffs. The Rams are four-point favorites. They split the first two games. Both teams lost at home in the regular season. What are your thoughts on this one? Oh, this is a very interesting matchup. I don't know which way this favors for me, but if I had to pick, I'm going with the Cardinals to win on the road because the Rams have not shown that they've been solid all season long. The one thing that's been confident is Cooper Cup. Aaron Donald is a monster, but he's not been consistent. If Stafford continues to turn the ball over, it's hard to win like that. It's very hard. He's leading the team or leading the league in pick sixes, and it's unfortunate at this point in time. 
I feel comfortable with them at least having J.J. Watt back to help this defense. He's actually a storm when he can play good ball. And this is one of those why not situations if he can make his final run at anything in the postseason because I feel like his end may be near in his career. I'm going with the Cardinals to pull this off in California. Coin toss game for me. I really don't really know what to do on this one. I think this is one of the closest games of the weekend. I think it's going to be a great way to finish the playoffs wildcard weekend with this matchup. Two teams that are familiar with one another. The Cardinals have been one of the best road teams this year with an 8-1 and one record on the road. They faded down the stretch, losing four of their last fives. This is scary to me going with Cardinals because this is a team that just looked like it peaked at midseason. They have not looked like the same team. The secondary has been really vulnerable in that stretch, especially versus the deep ball. So I expect the Rams in this matchup to take shots down the field early and often in this one. It could be a problem for Arizona because they have struggled to stop the deep pass. And since week nine, Stafford, you touched on it. He's thrown 11 picks and he hasn't been as good in the second half of the season. He looked really good People were even saying MVP possibly in those first six, seven weeks. But that guy has been nowhere to be found the last several weeks of the season now. For me, I think the key to this game is going to be which team can take care of the ball, which team leads the turnover battle. I think is going to go a long way in this matchup. Like I said, it feels like a coin toss. So because of that, give me the points. Anytime it's a close matchup and I feel like it's an even matchup, I'm generally going to take the points, especially at plus four with Arizona. I'm getting some value there over a field goal. So give me the Cardinals in this one. Don't feel great about it. I wouldn't be surprised if the Rams get this done, but I think that's where I'm going to lean as far as my bet. But that is going to do it for today's episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it, PGF Nation. We are going to be back next week breaking down the playoffs all the way until they hand out that Lombardi trophy. It's going to be a lot of fun, so stick with us, guys, and we will catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.